Hi, listeners. I hope you're having a great week. For this episode, I spoke with Heather Martin, a survivor of the Columbine shooting. She was a senior when two other classmen killed 12 students and one teacher at their Littleton, Colorado high school on April 20th, 1999. I think what Heather shared about her healing journey is so important because it speaks to trauma's depths and long-lasting effects. For example, when I asked Heather when she finally felt safe, she honestly answered, 17 years. Uh, I I don't know if that's exact, but a long time. Just because that immediate threat goes away. I think the psychological threat of safety has been shattered almost forever. Due to the prevalence of mass shootings, I worry about them. I've been to the movies about a handful of times since 2012 because of the theater shooting in Aurora, Colorado. On grocery store runs, I'll think about where I would hide because of May's shooting in Buffalo. I don't know who I would become after a mass shooting, if I even survived. Miraculously, Heather's a teacher. She's taught English at a high school in Aurora since 2013. She also co-founded the Rebels Project, an organization that offers support for mass shooting and trauma survivors. I'm so honored that she would share her story with me. My name is Erin Jensen, and this podcast has been a dream in my heart for a very long time. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a review. As an entertainment writer, I've talked to a number of celebrities, Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt, Some that weren't married to each other. The Rock, Selena Gomez. My favorite interviews are the ones that go beyond whatever project the star is looking to promote. Conversations that get into topics that we can all relate to. Things like failures, disappointments, grief. My therapist would tell you, if he wasn't bound by HIPAA laws, that I could benefit from increasing my resiliency. I've never cried over spilled milk, but I have cried over spilled orange juice which is why I'm in awe of people who are able to overcome what my mind views as unimaginable loss, inconceivable heartbreak, or an insurmountable challenge. If you've ever come across a remarkable story of triumph and thought to yourself, how on earth did they do that? Here's how. I was in choir class when the shooting started. And it was within minutes, we were doing our vocal warmups. Reports say that the first 911 phone calls came in at 1121. So we kind of say that's about when the shooting started. One of the students came up the stairs from down in the commons and just came into the room and said, someone has a gun downstairs and they're shooting. So we all kind of like stood up like, what? And then Mr. Andres, our teacher was like, sit down. And so we all kind of sat back down and then gunfire erupted right outside the door. A bunch of the students ran out one of the doors, and I didn't. And then a teacher came up the stairs and said, they're coming up the stairs, you have to hide. Or they're coming down the hall, you have to hide. Heather was one of 60 students who barricaded themselves into a choir office, where they would remain for three hours. She estimates the space is about 12 feet by 30 feet. The students placed desks in front of the door to keep it from opening. Three hours is a long time. And three hours is a long time to also fear for your life. When you talk about people's reactions to trauma, it's how long you thought your life was threatened. For that three hours, I remember some very serious and sad things. I remember within minutes probably realizing that it was gunfire, like it was really sinking in and I was crying. And one of my friends was like, come here and gave me like a hug. We used the teacher 
phone to call our parents, try calling 911. The lines are busy. We can't get through to the parents. Every time that we get through to any kind of law enforcement, they say, stay there and stay quiet. I finally did get a hold of my parents and asked about my sister. It's like, hey, is Ashley okay? Because my sister was a freshman the year of the shooting. They said, yeah, she's fine. She got out right away. We climbed into the ceiling tiles because it's really hot in the room. We climbed up into the ceiling tiles and we wrote our names on the wall in case we died there. But there were also moments that make Heather laugh today, like telling a friend, we're going to die in here and I'm going to die a virgin and I never will have met Bruce Springsteen. And she's like, you're a virgin? Thinking back on that, that's hilarious. Why would I be worried about meeting some famous musician in the moment? But those are the stories that I share because I appreciate like humor is a good coping mechanism. Plus, it emphasizes the idea of like, we're all going to say and do ridiculous things in those moments. The SWAT team came to our door at 2.23. There's a knock at the door and we all look at each other and we're just like, um, who is it? We're like, you know, SWAT team, open the door. So we like move the desks away from the door and come flying out of the room. The SWAT team that rescued Heather and her fellow students began interviewing them in groups of 10 in the choir room, Heather says, before leading them out of the school. Eventually, they were taken by bus to an elementary campus where Heather reunited with her parents. My parents saw me come out of the school. My mom says that she remembers what shirt I was wearing and I tripped. And so she knew it was me. It was a media frenzy everywhere. I remember coming out of there, having just been through this horrible traumatic situation. I had seen the bodies of the murdered children outside the school. And the media is like pushing microphones into our faces, trying to get a soundbite. When did you actually like feel safe? When did you no longer feel I'm going to die today? 17 years. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's exact, but a long time. Just because that immediate threat goes away, I think the psychological threat of safety has been shattered almost forever. I saw in an essay you wrote of the day of the shooting. Later that evening, I arrived home physically uninjured, but a completely different person. Who had you become and in what ways had you changed? I don't think a lot of that shows up until years later. The different person that I was for probably about 10 years was I, I was so angry. And the short answer is that I was traumatized. But it was really just this constant simmering of anger combined with sort of embarrassment because I felt like I didn't have a right to be traumatized. I was barricaded in a room. I wasn't shot. I wasn't physically injured. I didn't have a right to be as traumatized as I was on the inside. I was having nightmares. My sister and I were inseparable for months until I moved out in an English class in college, surrounded by strangers. They do a fire drill and I start sobbing uncontrollably. I don't really know why I'm crying. I don't remember that the fire alarm had been going off. So I'm like surrounded by people who just think I'm super nuts, who cries at fire drills. I struggled to find people to talk with about it. I felt like everybody was judging me and judging the fact that I was so impacted. My friend Missy says it so well. When someone said to her once, you're still struggling or you're still traumatized, and she's like, Tell me, what's an acceptable time that I should be over this? 
It's like, there is no timeline. Like there's no, there's no one way. And truthfully, it like ebbs and flows. Heather finished the year at Chatfield High School and then went to Red Rocks Community College in neighboring Lakewood. I had friends that also went to that college. And I remember making like pointed efforts to take classes with them. So I wasn't alone. And that actually is still something that's present in in my life as an adult, a little bit embarrassingly as like a 41 year old woman is like, I still don't love doing things by myself. At school, Heather was assigned triggering essays, one about violence or guns in schools, she says. And then I had another English teacher who was like, we're going to write personal narratives, write about something that's impacted you. And this had been about a year. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write about Columbine. I got this. And I had my friend Evan in the class with me, and he also wrote about Columbine. And we were like, okay, here we go. So I ended up writing like 10 pages. And the assignment was two to three pages. And so again, I'm like nervous. And I think internally, I'm just looking for validation from someone. Like your story matters. What you went through matters. And I go to the teacher and I'm like, I know you only wanted two to three pages, but I wrote 10. Is that okay? What she actually said, I don't remember, but what I heard was, well, I'll, I'll read the first few pages and grade you on that. And so I heard your story doesn't matter. I'm not going to read this whole thing. It's probably going to be boring as hell. Why would you write 10 pages? So my takeaway from that as a teacher today <laughs> is like a million fold, right? Like everybody's story matters. And don't be that person. Believe people when they tell you something like that because it's hard. It was really hard for me to approach both of those teachers and to be vulnerable like that. And I just felt very shut down. So. I would say after like three years, I dropped out and I think it was just like, I keep trying and I keep trying and then I just fail. Now I know it's because I didn't have anyone to connect with and people to talk to about my feelings with. But at the time I was just like, maybe this just isn't for me. Like just totally in denial again, that the shooting has anything to do with any of this. <laughs> when did you actually make the connection that the struggles you were having stemmed from being in school that day? I would say very consciously, maybe like 10 years. I knew the little thing. I knew fire alarms. I understood that that was from that day. I knew helicopters and sirens. Those are seem obvious. They're sounds that are connected, obviously, to the shooting. But the smaller things, like going places by myself or not feeling safe, that kind of stuff, it was probably 10 years before I started really recognizing all of those minor, I don't want to say minor impacts, they're major impacts, but just like things that weren't so obvious. And that happened because I started talking more with other survivors. 10 years after the shooting, Heather and other students were invited to return to Columbine. I was terrified, anxious. Some of the traumatic memories from April 20th came back very vividly. But what also came back were me being in the musical, me having cinnamon rolls stuck on my face when I was talking to one of my crushes. All of these high school memories that I should have had for years, but I didn't. April 20th had overshadowed all of those things. You went back to the choir room what was it like to be in that space and then also the office? 
So we went back into the room. It was really lovely to see everybody again and to reconnect and to see their kids and see everybody like grow up and just be humans and adults. It was this reunion that was so emotional, both good and bad. And we went back into the office. We climbed back into the ceiling and our names were not there anymore. They painted over them in the remodel. And we stood in the room at 1121 because Frank reads the names of the 13 every year at 1121. And so he read the names over the intercom and it was very emotional. But I remember it being more emotional than traumatizing. Progress that I can barely describe happened on that tenure. That tenure was the biggest mile marker in my recovery. What effects did being able to go back to Columbine and for parts of it to be a positive experience, how did that impact you? So that was probably the biggest impact for me going back to school. I was working in the restaurant business. I was managing restaurants for the same company for like 13 years. And after the 10 year, I connected with other survivors and just felt like normal. It felt normal again. Like there's nothing wrong with me. I'm exactly who I should be having gone through what I went through. Like we're all still struggling. We all still have struggles. It's different. Time doesn't heal stuff, but it changes. My brother, who is a college professor, was in town for the summer. And so he went to the campus with me and helped me get enrolled because I'm not going to do this stuff by myself, right? I'm still just like, new places freak me out. I got to have a plan. In connecting with the survivors, you felt this is a normal reaction. You saw yourself in them. I finally realized that I wasn't alone. And my Aurora Theater survivors are so funny. They're like, I hate that term, the new normal. And new survivors are like, oh, the new normal. I hate it. I hate it. But for me, that changed my freaking life. It was just like, it is a new normal. All of a sudden, I just realized I am different. I am not the same person that I was before the shooting. And that's okay. There's no way I could be the same person. There's no way. And I finally accepted that in large part just because I had seen so many other people who were struggling in the same way as I was. Do you feel safe in your classroom now? I do. I say like I kind of paused there for a minute in that the first classroom that I had for many years, I felt super safe in that classroom. I'm also the yearbook advisor. So we had a yearbook lab next door and there were some offices where I could go hide. This year I moved into a new classroom. So it's been kind of an adjustment just because it's a standard classroom. And we had a drill and I was like, oh my God, this sucks. Like teachers have been doing this for years and this sucks because you're just kind of, I don't know. I feel safe in that I would know what to do should something happen. I don't love the layout of my new classroom, but what can you do besides, you know, work through it? <laughs> do you think about it every day? I don't know if I think about it every day anymore. There are times when I do, but it's not usually the event. It's what the aftermath has taught me. As a teacher, I learned to be compassionate and to listen to people. That's something that's directly connected to the shooting for me. So I guess I think about it in that way, but I don't think about it in like the event of what occurred that day. Heather's organization, The Rebels Project, was conceived just days after the Aurora shooting in 2012, she says, aiming to fill a void the Columbine survivors felt. 
We needed someone who got it, someone who wouldn't judge us for whatever our story was. All the help in the world is there in the immediate aftermath, but it's really the long term that it becomes super important because within three months, I was already like, ooh, why am I crying? Why am I upset? And it had been three months, which is like ridiculous to think about now. But since that initial support group or support meeting, we still have them monthly. We've continued monthly. Now we just kind of flip-flop between virtual and in-person in Colorado. It's grown to, we've got this private online group that's got like 1,800 members from upwards 120 different survivor communities. So they're not all mass shootings. There's bombings and stabbings. And it's worldwide, not just the United States, although we do have most of our members are from the U.S. And that is our virtual safe space. It always reinforces that I'm not alone. Just because I'm 23 years out doesn't mean that I don't have feelings of sometimes imposter syndrome of even really being a survivor or a story being good enough, quote unquote. Therapy has also helped Heather in her recovery. She found a therapist who is trauma trained. She uses eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, known as EMDR. It's a method the Cleveland Clinic says, quote, involves moving your eyes a specific way while you process traumatic memories, end quote. She also uses brain spotting, which brainspotting.com says, quote, locates points in the client's visual field that help to access unprocessed trauma in the subcordial brain, end quote. When I first started therapy, she kept asking, like, what's going on in your body? How does your body feel? And I was sitting there and I'm just like, nothing. Like, I don't feel anything. And I could feel that my eyes were watering. I was like, well, my eyes are watering. She's like, well, what do you feel in your body? And I'm like, I had nothing. And she's like, how does your throat feel? And I was like, oh, my throat feels tight. My throat kind of hurts. I literally didn't even know what it felt like to cry. I had pushed all of these little things that were symptoms in my body of grief. I literally didn't know feelings in my own body until I started doing EMDR. (laughs) What advice do you have for people who are going through a challenging time? I have two pieces. The first one is that you will never be the same person that you were before your trauma, whatever the trauma is. Losing, you know, your childhood dog. You will never be the same person without that piece of you. And my second piece of advice is that trauma is not a competition. And understanding that on a very, very, very deep level that you don't have to have X, Y, and Z in order to be traumatized. If there was a perceived threat and maybe it wasn't real and you've got a little piece of trauma and that's okay. Don't be embarrassed. Try to deal with it or else it'll get worse and worse and worse. In preparation for this interview, I was watching other interviews and one of the Columbine survivors says, no one asks, does it still hurt? That just struck me. So I'm just going to ask you, does it still hurt? Sometimes. Yes. Sometimes I forget how horrible it is and was. Because I live in a world where it happens all the time. I work in a school where it's a scene of things like that happening. And sometimes I think I don't fully lean into those 
those feelings because it's it was awful. Like it's 23 years and it's still awful. People were murdered. Like that is awful. And I think it gets minimized a lot, maybe with time or whatever, but like it will always be awful. For anyone struggling, I hope Heather's story helps you accept the depths of your trauma and that being in pain is perfectly okay. I thank Heather so much for sharing her story with me and you for listening. If you're enjoying the Here's How podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with a friend. Find us on Instagram at Here's How Podcast.